These are sacred moments together. If you couldn't feel it, you might want to check your pulse. But these are sacred moments, and they're not just for weekends like this. Every time we gather, we should come with an expectancy for the Lord to come. If we expect him to come, he will. So we need to count these moments as sacred. That means that we're careful and we treat it as something sacred, as something holy to the Lord. And that's, like I said last night, not just when we gather on Sundays, but in our life groups or whatever you call them here. And, or when we gather to meet for meals or for coffee or just with our friends. Invite the Lord into every part of your life you want him to bless, and he will. If you want to turn your Bible to Acts chapter 9, we're going to spend time on this short little story in Acts chapter 9 of Peter. I don't want to share share a real long time this afternoon because I want to give us time to respond today to the Lord. And and some of you this afternoon, your life is going to change. You're not going to recognize your life any longer. And that's really what it should be like. You know, I gave my life to the Lord 19 and a half years ago. I was 20 years old and I had no idea up from down. The whole culture of my life had to change. And it wasn't just some things. I mean, some of you were doing some things right before you knew the Lord. I was not one of you. So for me, it was like, here's all the things that you're doing. So just stop, just stop doing all those things, just all of them. <laughs> and now we're going to do these things. And so the complete culture of my life had to change. And my life no longer could conform to the culture of this world, but now had to conform to kingdom culture. And what became normal to me had to be redefined. Normal, what we consider normal is all about context. And even if we, things are getting better, if we stay in a spot for long enough, that becomes the new normal and we just kind of fall into the status quo. That's why there's always more in the kingdom. He's an unsearchable God. There's always more. And it's not like this clawing for more, like begging the Lord for more. It's just like, I was talking to this 19 year old one time and and I I said, don't you want more of the Lord? He's like, no, I'm pretty good. (laughs) I said, you don't know what you're saying. You have no idea what you're saying. Because when you meet the Lord and and the Lord shows you something, and as you walk with him over time, you realize, I don't know anything. Very little. I know very little. And as I walk with him, I realize I need him more than I ever thought I did. And my dependence on the Lord has to increase. But we have to redefine what a normal, the normal Christian life looks like. There's an old book by a, a man of God, Watchman Nee, called The Normal Christian Life. If you feel like getting punched in the gut, you should read that book. It's amazing. But we need to redefine what normal in the kingdom is, what the culture of kingdom people is. Otherwise, it will just be like the world 2.0. 
We just kind of sprinkle Jesus into some stuff. I have a friend, um, I'm going to share a story later about him, but he met a guy in Alaska who had been to prison and, um, for selling drugs, and it, he grew up and never knowing a Christian his whole life. And while he was in prison, he gave his life to Jesus. And he began to read this word, and he began to read the book of Acts, and he was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I cannot wait to get out and meet some Christians. These people look like radical, like spirit-filled, on-fire people. And then he got out of prison, and this first Sunday out, he went to church, and he walked into a church, and it was completely dead. And he thought, well, this isn't what I've been reading about. So he went to another church, and the same thing, another church, the same thing. And so you begin to wonder, maybe I have it wrong. (laughs) Maybe I'm the crazy one. Well, which is true? Is what we read in Scripture the truth or what we've come to know and experience true? And I would hope that our experience line up with the truth of God, but a lot of times we allow what defines our life and how we live our life to be defined by our experience. Rather than holding fast to the truth of God and whether or not we've seen it in this life or we're just sowing seeds for the next or for the next generation, we hold on fast to the truth of God. God is looking for those who would take seriously the things of God. Leonard Ravenhill has a quote. He says, one day, some young man or woman is going to open up this book and they're going to believe it. And we're all going to look like fools. (laughs) What would your life look like if you took seriously the things of God? What would your life look like if you walked wholeheartedly in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day? How would the culture of your workplace shift of your neighborhood, the people that you come into contact with every single day, what would your life look like? Reinhard Bonnke, one of my heroes, he said this. He said, the mystery to me is how the life-giving message of Jesus can become dead, how a fresh move of God can become stale, but it happens. The first step, I think, is, is when methods are enshrined. And any new wind of the Spirit is resisted. Old ways are repeated without inspiration. We've forgotten that the Lord seeks a living and growing relationship, and He resists being entombed in a method, a building, or an organization. This is bigger than your church. This is bigger than your life. You are a part of a kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world, a kingdom of the already but not yet, a kingdom that we're experiencing in part now, that's been revealed through the person of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, but that in an age to come, we're going to experience in the fullness. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so if we're part of something bigger than ourselves, our lives should reflect it. Amen? So I want to ask you this question again. What would your life look like if you were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day? For some of you, it wouldn't, it wouldn't change, and I thank God for that. But for some, it would be a radical departure from what you've known as normal. You know, all sorts of, all, all, we do all sorts of different things, every one of us in our homes that we consider normal, that someone else could come into your home and be like, that is not normal. <laughs> right? You could come to my house and see how I load the dishwasher, and you could say, Tony, that's not normal. <laughs> so, 
how are we defining what normal looks like? Is it the culture of the day? Is it even Christian culture of the day? And how we define uh, what, what normal Christianity looks like? You know, we have a reputation now in our city, even among the college students, <laughs> as being radical, <laughs> a radical church. And I'm like, man, it seems strange that we're considered radical for believing God's word. But I consider that a, a high compliment. I would love to be known as a radical for the Jesus. But what would your life look like if you're walking the power of the Holy Spirit every day? In Acts chapter 9, this is eight years after Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter. He is just doing the Lord's work. He's, as First Peter chapter 2 says, he is seeing Jesus as the example of how we are to live. In verse 32, it says, As Peter traveled the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. And there, he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. So I've got three quick things I want to share this afternoon. We're called to be a Jesus people. People should look at your life and say, they, oh, I can tell they've been with Jesus. We don't have to, I mean, I wear Jesus t-shirts and whatever, that's fine. But like beyond that, people should be able to look at your life and say, there is something different about them. There is something different about you. And so what, is a, what does a Jesus people look like? Well, first is this, a G, Jesus people are about the Father's business. Peter is just doing what he saw Jesus do. In verse 33, it says that he found a man named Aeneas. It seems like he was just kind of wandering around and he stumbled upon Aeneas. Like you're walking down the street and you just happen to find a $100 bill on the street. No, that's not what he's talking about. This is like when you go out on into the, uh, onto the beach with like a metal detector. You're searching for something significant. You're searching for gems and something somebody left on the beach. You're, you're intentionally looking. So he found it because he was looking for it. We need to be a people that are about the Father's business, doing what Jesus did, proclaiming what Jesus proclaimed, and God will interrupt our lives. But we have to be willing to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable I want to encourage you, seek to live a very unhurried life. I've heard it said that busyness is artificial significance. We try to busy ourselves because we're trying to find value in what we produce and what we do. Jesus was never in a hurry. And as people of God, we need to slow down our lives. My, my daughter, her middle name is Putz. Puts her, not really, but she puts, she just puts us all the time. It's like, just brush your teeth, please, for the love of God, just brush your teeth. Like, she, one day we were, we were late for school, and we're, I turn around, I'm like, where is she? And she's literally stopped to smell flowers. <laughs> I'm like, we're late, let's go. She's never in a hurry, and she gets to experience a lot of life because of it, because she's all, her eyes are always open to what's going on. 
But we have to be willing to be inconvenienced. What if somebody showed up at your door during supper time? Would you invite them in? What if you're late for a meeting and there's someone that needs to hear the love of the Lord, who needs to experience his presence? Where are you willing to look like a fool for him? We like to give ourselves and God our greatest excuses. Lord, I'm just introverted. Uh, Lord, I, I have too much of a past. You can't use someone like me. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what I would say to them. Or I, my life is a mess. Or we use where we came from or our pedigree as an excuse. Listen, one day when we stand before him, every great excuse we think we will have will seem so silly when we stand before him one day. When he says, did you do what I asked you to do? But God, I was kind of scared. I didn't want to feel uncomfortable. Listen, I know, I know what I'm sharing is, is, is difficult to receive. But I'm telling you, we have one, one life to live. One life. And so many people waste their life on silly things. You have one life. Don't make excuses for yourself. Don't make excuses for your sins and justifications for your sin. I have found sometimes the hardest person to be honest with is myself. Be honest with yourself. Don't make excuses. I've heard people say, you know, in, when I was at the University of Iowa, we had people that were from Chicago a lot. And this girl one time was like, she was just rude all the time. She goes, well, I'm just from Chicago. That's how people from Chicago are. We're just rude. I'm like, wow, okay. Listen, when you give your life to Jesus, your life is not your own and you have a new identity in him. Your past does not define you. Your pedigree does not define you. This book is full of people all from all different backgrounds. And in fact, Paul uses this word throughout his writings called, the word is brethren. The Greek word is adelphos. It means brothers and sisters born of the same father. It means you've come from every background, any socioeconomic background, ethnicity, doesn't matter, different stories, and we are brothers and sisters born of the same father. That's why you can go to a different country and meet someone who's a believer, and there's this immediate like connection that you have with them. We're born of the same father. We have the same father. So our, our, our excuses fall so short in light of God's command to go. But we have to be willing and open to the Holy Spirit. We had a young man, his name is Mason, who came up in our Chi Alpha and after his second year, he went to Alaska for the summer. And God just got a hold of his heart. He came back, and he, I remember him sitting in my office and saying, Tony, I'm going to drop out of school, and I'm going to move to Alaska. And I remember, like, we tell people, like, you need to follow the Lord. If the Lord tells you to do something, you need to do it. And then someone comes and tells you, this is what the Lord said, I'm going to do it. And you're, and you're kind of like, well, not like that. <laughs> Let's be reasonable here, here, you know? But I'm like, okay, wow, he's going to do it the, old, the OG, the old school way. We're just going to sell everything we have and we're going to go. Okay. And so he did. And he found a little place. He started working as a carpenter, not, not to be like Jesus, but, but it was the job available for him. And...
he just started having young men over to his house. There was nobody there in this little village in which he lived in Bethel, Alaska, that really had a heart for the Lord, for the young people. So he just started inviting people over to his house, and young men are getting, getting saved and filled with the Spirit, healed. And then he and some of his friends started going out to some villages, and one of their first trips, they went out to this village in a place called Good News Bay, Alaska. And they had met a couple of believers there, and they stayed there with them in the house. And then they would just, they didn't really have a plan. They just went out and, and were praying with people. Sometimes we say uh, we need a plan and it's more of a cop out to be like, I don't, I'm just kind of stalling. <laughs> Rather than just being led of the Holy Spirit. Being led of the Holy Spirit can be a cop out sometimes for our lack of planning also. So we really do need to listen to the Holy Spirit. But they, him and his three buddies, they, they start traveling around, and one, one day they go into this like grocery store convenience store, and one of them stayed back to pray, and three of them went out just to pray with people. And they walk into the store, and they see these two ladies, and one of the ladies you could see was like greatly conflicted. She was having issues, and she's wearing these earmuffs. Her face was kind of just, I don't know, there's something kind of uh, contorted about it. And she had this, this bull's flat-brimmed hat on and her hood up. And they walked in and they said, hey, we, we, just, we don't want anything from you. We just want to pray for you. Is there anything that we could pray for? And this woman with the earmuffs looks at him and she goes, what did you say? He said, we're here. To, we want to pray for you. And she looked like she had seen a ghost. And she said, you came to pray for us? How many of there are you? And, and they're like, um, Okay, well, there's three of us here standing in front of you, but then there's one more back. We've all come here to pray. There's four of us. And the woman was just visibly shaken. She said, six months ago, I cried out to Jesus as a last resort because I'm so tormented by evil spirits day and night. They speak the most horrible things into my ear. That's why I wear these earmuffs so that it will muffle the sound. And day and night, I just am tormented. I can't sleep. And I'd heard about Jesus, and so I decided to cry out to Jesus. Maybe Jesus can help me. And I, she said, I felt Jesus speak to me, and he said, all he said is, help is coming. And she said, I don't know what that means, Jesus. Help is coming. How will I know? What will it look like? He said, help is on the way. But Jesus, I need to know. Tell me. Tell me. And he, he said, Jesus, she said, Jesus said, there's four men and they're going to come and they're going to pray for you. So she said, would you come, come to my house and pray for me tomorrow? And so they went to this woman's house and Mason had his guitar and he's just singing worship songs. Two of them are ministering to this woman, praying over this woman. And another man is going around the house with her permission and getting rid of all like idols and witchcraft stuff and throwing it into a garbage bag and throwing it outside. For hours, they sat and ministered to this woman. After a while, the four of them gathered around her and began to pray. And all of a sudden, this evil spirit began to just get angry. And this woman was on the ground just screaming, screaming. And they prayed for her. And they kept praying. And all of a sudden, this, this spirit left this woman. They said she got up off that floor and, and looked at them and she looked like a different person. 
a completely different person. And Mason said, listen, never put those earmuffs back on again. This is going to be a testimony of this entire village that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they went about proclaiming the word of God in that village. That's an uncomfortable situation. Listen, but as followers of Jesus, we give up our rights. And we say, Lord, this life is your life. It's yours. It's yours. Do what you want with my life. So we need to be about the Father's business. It goes on to say, in verse 34, Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't say, I, Peter, heal you. With all the strength of Peter and all the might of Peter, I heal you. No, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus' people are dependent on the Holy Spirit. Dependent on the Holy Spirit. We see something similar in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John are on their way to the temple and they, they meet the man who's lame. It says, Jesus Christ heals you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the man walks. It's by faith in the name of Jesus that that he's healed. We need to be a people dependent on the Holy Spirit. It's not on us. Listen, when I pray for someone and they don't get healed, it's proof of what I can do. When I pray for someone and they get healed, it's proof of what Jesus can do. We need to be a people dependent on the Holy Spirit. But fear comes when we depend on ourselves for results. And we should be afraid. If it depends on me, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. A.W. Tozer says this, whoever defends himself will have only himself as a defense, and he will have no other. But let us come defenseless before the Lord, and he will, and that man will have no one else, uh, will have for himself no, no one less than Jesus Christ as his defender. We need to be people dependent on the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, it's not a license for us to just begin working the flesh again, but now we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we need to remain dependent on the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the great paradoxes of the kingdom, that as we walk, grow in maturity in Christ, we also grow in childlikeness. Childlike faith, childlike belief, childlike simplicity, and maturity in the Lord. No longer like struggling with the same things we struggled with 20 years ago. Staying in in our immaturity, allowing our flesh to rule our lives, but now people of maturity and childlikeness. About four and a half years ago, I was minding my own business when one day I got a phone call from a friend who said, hey, I have this friend I work with who just found out he has brain cancer and he has five months to live and he's open to the gospel. Would you come and pray? And I should have said, what do you need me for? (laughs) But I was kind to my friend. And I said, yeah, I'll come. And so we came and I met with him and and we met in this grocery store, a very holy place, right? And we met in this grocery store, and this young man began to tell, tell me his story. 
that his son had had cancer a few years back. And when his son got cancer, they found out that there's a gene in their, in, their, in their family that goes back for every male over the last 100 years, that every single male in, on the, the male side of the family has either had cancer or died of cancer. And so then this young man began to get checked, and that's how he found out he had brain cancer. Well, obviously you're faced with that type of prognosis, and you start considering your life. And so I shared my testimony with him. I shared the gospel, and, and, he, and he was ready to receive Jesus. And so we prayed, and, and he gave his life to the Lord that day. And I remember praying, laying my hand on his head, and praying a prayer, and not feeling anything spiritual happening. I want to tell you, some of the most spiritual things that you will ever do in your life will not feel spiritual at all. If you only did things based on feeling, we wouldn't do very much. That's like really what it is to be a child, right? Immature in the faith is only do things that we feel like doing. But I didn't feel anything. It was shortly after that that we moved to Ames. And so I never, I kind of had forgotten about it. And about a year and a half ago, I heard this testimony of this young man that shortly after that, he went to the doctors and the doctor said, you know, we'll do treatment, but there's no really point. You're going to die. Come to find out over the coming months that Jesus completely healed him. The cancer was gone. And not only that, since in that time, they have had a son. And they got that son tested for this gene, and he is the first male to be born without that gene in 100 years. Listen, we owe it to people to take this seriously. There are people all around us who have no hope who have their own strength to trust in and the things of this world and it fails, us, fails them miserably. Don't they deserve to know about a Savior who can heal them and change their life? Not just change their life, but give them a new life. And it's selfish for us to keep it to ourselves. We need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. The third thing is this. Jesus' people are full of faith. So he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Get up and roll up your mat. Faith requires action. Faith requires us to do something. Faith is where the rubber meets the road. It's, it's that place of, do you really believe what you say you believe? If you pray, if you believe that God heals people, do you pray for people to be healed? What do our prayers like? I, I believe big, audacious, ridiculous prayers please the heart of God because this shows him what we feel, how we really think of him. Some of our prayers must grieve his heart that we expect God for so little, that we pray for such small things when so much is available to us. But faith is demonstrated through obedience. Isn't that what James says? Faith without works is dead. It 
from us. It calls us to action. It activates us. There is something within every single one of us that knows we were made for more. That we've been settling. That we've allowing our life, our, the circumstances of our life to inform our theology. But we need to recognize that wherever we go, wherever we are, God can use your life to make people whole. He goes on, it goes on to say, immediately Aeneas got up. So there's the dependence on Jesus who does the healing. There's the faith to say, get up. And then there's the fruit. Immediately Aeneas got up. And then what is the result? All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw, saw him and turned to Jesus. This is the result. What if people walked into this church needing a miracle and and they've exhausted all of their options and they said, you know what? I heard about this little church (laughs) on the edge of town. I heard if people go there, they'll be healed. They'll be delivered from addictions and their afflictions. Why not here? Why not here? That's our prayer in Ames. Why not little old Ames? Who fly over country? Who cares about Ames? Well, God does. But why not? He's not looking for special people. He's looking for people who take seriously his word. And sometimes you're going to be forced and to look like an idiot. <laughs> and you have to be willing to look like a fool for Jesus. Trey, would you come? This last fall, I was asked to share at a Chi Alpha event for leaders called Light Conference. Some of you were there. Um, you know, Lord gives me words as I go places and travel. Some are more fun to deliver than others. And I've learned to be obedient, but I got to be honest, I'm not always like, I'm not always as fast as I, as quick as I'd like to be. There's still part of me that's like, Lord, Can we not? (laughs) I hope one day that'll disappear completely. I'm still learning. The Saturday night I was in prayer, seeking the Lord. God was preparing my heart. And all of a sudden I heard these words, death blow diagnosis. And I was like, Lord, what does that mean? And that was it. That was it. That was the extent of it I was like Lord I don't get to know anything else can it be something that sounds a little cooler (laughs) there are times where you get a word from the Lord and you feel like you need to add to it or explain it away just the Lord will speak to you just say what he said so that night at the end of service I got done sharing and I said, and I, it was one of those moments of stepping out of faith. I had no idea what this meant. I could guess. But I said, there's someone here tonight that, I said, I heard these words, death blow diagnosis. And as soon as I said the words, the Lord showed me exactly what it meant. I said, there's somebody here tonight that you've received a diagnosis this week. 
And it wasn't a, a diagnosis that you're dying, but it was a diagnosis, it was the, it was like a death blow of discouragement. It was like a final blow, like, oh, I can't do this. I said, is that anybody here? You guys were there, right? Some of you were there. Nobody said anything. It felt like five hours. I've learned at times just to wait. I was like, and I remember saying, man, maybe they left. After what seemed like an eternity, this young woman right here in front raised her hand. I didn't know what was going on in her life. We went down and people surrounded her, prayed, started praying for her, and God began to touch this young woman. After the service, her husband came up to me. He's like, I almost ran down there and raised her hand. They've been trying to get pregnant for a long time. And this young woman, her mom had had multiple miscarriages. Her sister had had multiple miscarriages, caused a lot of pain in her life. And so they were excited for this idea of being pregnant. But when the time came and she found out she was pregnant, it caused a lot of anxiety. So that Tuesday, they learned that they were pregnant. That Friday, the day before this day, they had gone to the doctor. And the doctor said, I, I, I regret to inform you that you have a growth on your ovary. And we're going to have to operate, and you're probably going to lose the baby. And she said, I felt like this wave of discouragement. Of, of course, this would happen. The Lord touched that young woman. He sent me a text a week and a half ago of the ultrasound and the growth is gone. And that baby is healthy and growing perfectly. What are you responsible for? We're responsible for stepping out out in obedience and he is responsible for the results. Don't take the burden of results upon yourself. You pray your prayer of faith. It doesn't need to be anything fancy and does, sure does not need to be long. And see what God did, does. Just this room alone, even half the people in this room took this word seriously and started going out into this community. As little Christs, you would turn the world upside down. This is what the normal Christian life should be. But for some of us, we need to be empowered. We need to be equipped. We need that baptism of the Holy Spirit to embolden us. We need greater intimacy. Our prayer life needs to be lit on fire. So we stand across this room this afternoon. Jesus said, if we ask for the Holy Spirit, he will give it to us. He's the one that gives it. He said, any of you fathers, if your son asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? How much better am I? How much better is the father? So this is nothing to strive for. All we have to do is receive. 
we open up our hearts to receive. And the Lord does what he does. He wants to baptize every single one of you in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have his chosen select few. It's for anyone who desires, but he will not force it upon you. It's not a condition of your salvation. It doesn't make you a higher class of Christian, but it will make you more effective. And anything that's from the Lord, I want it. I want it. I want it. So this afternoon, if that's you, if you, one of two things, you want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit or you need to get refilled with the Holy Spirit, a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come forward. Right now, get out of your seat and come. going to touch you. The Lord is going to touch you. hungry people I thank you for a hungry people who are not satisfied with what they've seen but want more of you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus in a few moments I'm going to pray for you and the Lord's going to come he's going to touch you Before we do that, I want you to pray a prayer. I want to remove any obstacles that we might have in our heart to receive. So ask the Lord right now, ask him to search you. Is there any area of offense, wrong attitude, sin in my life? As the Lord points that out, I want you to confess it. First John says that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Forgive Him. Lord has revealed unforgiveness in your heart and you feel a grace to forgive, forgive right now.
thank you, Jesus, for your blood that washes and cleanses, that leads us into new life. If it's your first time and you need to get, you're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time, would you just look at me? Awesome. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you do anything weird. Thank you. I just want to know who we're praying for. I'm going to pray and the Lord to receive. So actually, could we all, if you're in the front, can everybody just stand? If you didn't respond, just be interceding for these people. And like we did last night, just put your hands out in front of you like to, in a posture to receive from the Lord. touching some of you already. Amen. Amen. More Jesus. I'm going to pray that the Lord fill you with the Holy Spirit. And there are several things that might happen. You might feel warmth go through your entire body. You might feel tinglies all the way through your body. And you might not. You might begin to shake. You might not. Those things are really inconsequential. It's really, if the Lord, if we ask the Lord to baptize us, he will. But one thing that's going to happen, you might feel something kind of welling up in your belly. It's the Holy Spirit. And all you need to do is just open your mouth. And the Lord, a a language that you do not know is just going to be in a flow from, from your mouth. And you just let it out. It's going to be different from something you've ever done in your whole life. But as the Lord does it, you take that step of faith, man, it's just going to come pouring out. Jesus, we look to you, the baptizer. You said it's better that you go. It's better that you go because you're going to send the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, Lighting men and women on fire for you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. So, Jesus, this was all all of your idea, so we don't need to twist your arm. We don't need to beg you. You want to do this. So we just come simply with humility and boldness and ask. So right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Come. Power and might in Jesus' name. 